0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word to John 14 uh, verse 15 and uh, we'll take the this morning the rest of chapter 14 we'll pick up where we left off in this series uh, we've talked uh, the hour has come uh, and uh, walking with uh, Christ and especially his help that he offers here to his followers in chapter 14 now help comes in many forms doesn't it redemption there is, there is help that is offered that maybe isn't actually truly helpful. Uh, there's something like, well, that's a nice gesture, but it isn't help. But there are things that are truly helpful, and it comes in in many forms. There's physical help that uh, we offer one along uh, one another and and, and come to uh, uh, to the rescue or to step into the gaps when uh, when physical needs or burdens are too much or too many through the form of just help and you know strength to move things or meals uh, to, uh, to 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 fill the gaps in there. There's financial Financial help that we offer one another that we fellowship when uh, you know when monetary burdens come upon us that were just like unexpected expenses and we get the joy of helping in those moments with one another help also comes in the form of encouragement uh, when we're feeling empty or down or despairing even. And uh, God gives us the opportunity to, to put courage in, to uh, speak uh, strength and, and, and help in, uh, in a, to a friend in a moment of, of need. And Jesus here again, as he's in the upper room, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's about to leave and he promises them some help to come in his absence an absence that has created some trouble or some turmoil in them, but he, but he promises now some help. And so the question before us as we read the text now here in a moment is, well, what kind of help is he offering? What is it that Jesus is offering here in himself and as we'll come to see the Holy Spirit in these verses? And so hopefully you found the text, John 14. Again, we're going to take verses 15 to 31. And so let's discover the answer as I read it and you I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now this is God's word for God's, God's, God's people. And so, church, as we, uh, as we ask the question and we read this passage now, uh, what, uh, what, how could we sum up then the help that the, uh, Jesus is offering to us? <laughs> that's right what, what can we as his disciples uh, what kind of help can we expect now again each of these uh, passages as jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure he's laying out uh, these uh, expectations for us as his children and so here's how we could sum up i think really the central expectation of what jesus is saying here we can expect the help of the spirit and the son as you love and obey the son it's on the screen here. Write that down at the top of your notes there or in the margin of your Bible. The central expectation is to expect the help of the Spirit and the Son as you love and obey the Son. But the, you know, what then does the help look like? Well, the text tells us, and hopefully you picked up even as I was reading uh, these verses here, on the interconnected relationship of the Trinity. It's a beautiful passage, actually, for us uh, in in Jesus' teaching here as he uh, elaborates for us uh, all three persons of the Trinity, the Father as the sender and the giver, the Son as uh, as the uh, as the one who will die and rise again on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit who is the helper. And really, it is the Holy Spirit who is particularly in view as Jesus is teaching the disciples uh, both on uh, for about himself, but also the how the Holy Spirit helps those who love and obey Jesus. And he and he makes some profound promises in the context, doesn't he? If you remember uh, uh, just last week, or you look at the verses there in verses 13 and 14, uh, Jesus makes some, some, uh, some pretty bold promises about how we can pray boldly for God to be glorified in our times of trouble. That's the whole context. Jesus has announced his what? His His departure. He is leaving, and this has created some angst, some trouble, and Jesus teaches them how to pray, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then he zeroes in, in in our passage today, in verse 15, on the who it is that these promises are for, but then also what what that help looks like, right? And so who is this for? Now, I get it, you know, Jesus is teaching. So we're kind of jumping onto a, a moving train of teaching here, uh, and, and, and we're coming around a corner. Jesus is coming around the corner in verse 15 where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandment. Right? And he reiterates it, uh, actually in verse 23, again, this, uh, this concept of loving him. And Now, Jesus isn't just being manipulative when he says this, right? Like, if you just listen to what I say, then I would know that you love me. Like, he's not just trying to coerce them or manipulate them into loving them. He's really just making a statement of reality that if, if you love me, you will, you will actually uh, obey my commandments or obey my, uh, by my word. We could also say it like this. Well, since you love me, you will then keep my commandments in other words to say that it, the the proof of our love for Jesus is demonstrated in the obedience of our life of whether or not we obey his commands we obey his word see what Jesus is taking head on here is that there are many that claim to love god i i love him so much and you know me and god we're on we, we, we have an understanding right we I, I love him and he lets me do what i want not so much. What Jesus is getting at here is the, the the regenerative work of salvation is proven out by the change or the transformation in our life about who we love, like genuinely love, who we serve uh, by our life. Are we loving ourselves? Are we loving the world? Or are we loving Christ? And that is proven out, that is born out in how we live our lives. And oftentimes that's very stark, isn't it? Maybe as part of even your testimony, as you came to Christ, as God opened your eyes to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the death that your sin was causing in your own life, and the beauty and the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers, and as you came uh, away to that, your life just changed dramatically. Old addictive patterns, old thoughts, old things uh, are just were no longer true of you, and you uh, literally became a new man or a woman in, 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 in a moment, overnight. And there's times like that that happens even throughout our life as God continues His work in us, right? Maybe some of you men, as you were at man camp, there are some things that the Lord was doing business in your life, and even though you were saved years ago in His sanctifying work, He brought a measure of conviction that, man, my life needs to change. And now, since, uh, since that point, you have been, uh, you know, zealously different. But the Holy Spirit also works more gradually at times, doesn't He? There are certain things that just take long, faithful obedience out of love for the Lord, taking him at his word, saying like, no, your way is better. And we're continually, moment by moment, day by day, temptation after temptation, opportunity after opportunity, saying no to sin, no to the ways of the world, and yes to Jesus, bearing out our love for him and our obedience to his, his, his word. There's, a, there's, there's, there's always change in how we live our life. And so just think of how this works. And it's, you know, as we're following Christ, it is a matter of both love and obedience, right? And since I love word mashups and, you know, creating new words and, and, you know, new vocabulary for a Christian language, we could maybe call this lobedience, all right? (laughs) You like it? Think of a stick. Maybe not, Low obedience. And here's what we're trying to get at there. here We like to think of things in a dial, right? In a gauge. And we want to live lives to the glory of God, right? In a word we called ourselves, Will told us, what kind of church are we? What kind of people are we? We are vertical people, right? And so as these two things come together, a love for the Lord and obedience to his word and his commands, uh, we're seeking to do that, to bring them together, to live a life to the glory of God. If we're just over here saying, oh, I love God, I love God, but I don't want my life to change. That's just like easy believism. It's just like saying a fire insurance faith. Well, I've done this and now I can continue to live how I want because I know how the end goes. But there's also the other extreme that we cannot have any love for the Lord and just, you know, uh, but say, hey, I'm following all the commands. I'm doing all the things over here. And that's just self-righteousness, right? Of a works-based type of, of, of living, a duty-bound performance just motivated by recognition or reward. But John here is recording for us is Jesus' words of these two things coming together. He'll actually elaborate far more in the letter that we know as 1 John on how this love for the Lord and obeying His commandments come uh, together. And I encourage you to read 1 John this week and to discuss it and discuss it in your small groups even here. And so, so why do we bring all this out? Well, this is who this, is, this help is for. Those who love and obey Jesus. And so, okay, I think we got that. But what then does that help look like? What can we expect? That's the, that's the question of the hour, right? What can we expect here? How, what type of help? Well, as we continue to examine the verses, I think we can expect some things from the Spirit and from the Son. And here's the first thing. We can expect the Spirit help to help us by dwelling with us and in us. The Spirit helps us by dwelling with us and in us. And what Jesus brings out here is the ministry of presence of the Holy Spirit. How he is at work in us. And Jesus also is just like showing for us the, uh, the work of the Trinity here. He's going to ask the Father, the Father who is the sender, the giver, the orchestrator of all things, who uh, reigns providential over our lives. And it says that he will give another helper. Do you see that there? He will give you another helper. And those are very intentional words. All the words in scripture are are, are intentional, right? inspired and Aaron by the Holy Spirit here. But these two words are, are particularly important as we're trying to understand both the relationship here and who it is that is being sent to us to dwell with us and in us. And he calls the Holy Spirit another helper. And why is this important? Well, because in Greek there are two different words for another, allos and heteros. Like think of alloy and uh, like heterodox, right? Allos, what is used here, is another of the same kind. Heteros would be another of a different kind. And so, to illustrate, I have these pumpkins up here. These aren't just decorations, you know, this is fall and we're trying to be cute and all that. I went away for a few days and then my house became infested with pumpkins of various shapes and sizes and colors and things. It's funny how that stuff happens. But it's a great illustration, right? I took a few. I'll put them back. Don't worry, babe. I'll put them back right where they go, if I remember. But these two pumpkins are another of the same kind. Two separate pumpkins, but they share the same attributes, the same uh, you know uh, consistency, the same color, all those things. But these two pumpkins are what? Another of a different kind. And so as he's talking of the Holy Spirit, another helper here it's two distinct persons but of the same kinds same attributes the same uh, the same personality and uh, and character and power and all that but with different roles or two different things and that's he calls them another. Helper—it's the word Paraclete, the encourager, the exhorter, the comforter. Depending upon the 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 moment or the need in our life, another person who will come alongside. That's what Paraclete means—to come alongside. And so Jesus is about to leave. They are uh, uh, anxious and troubled about this, and now Jesus is saying, "Don't worry, because I'm going to send another of the same kind with me to come alongside, to be in you, actually." And to be in you, look what it says, with you, to be with you for a limited time only. To be with you forever, forever, ever, right? This is important, no leaving, no departure, always and forever. This is profound, as Jesus was limited by, by his lifespan in the location uh, in his human flesh now, the Holy Spirit, unlimited, always and forever, now dwelling with and in them. This guy, uh, this, uh, not only is he going to be with you forever, but he's called what? The Spirit of Truth. And who has the truth? Jesus. Jesus is the truth, Right? Now the Spirit of truth dwells with us and in us. The truth is within us, right? And not in like a weird humanistic kind of way, like search inside yourself. You will find the truth here. No, no, no. But in the Holy Spirit coming in us this is why when he says ask anything in my name you know you he will do it like the spirit leading our prayers or why we're invited in James chapter 1 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God right who gives generously and he would talk like the dispenser of truth is not some distant person or distant figure that we have to go in search of but now in this profound way Jesus is telling the disciples this this spirit of truth the dispenser of truth is going to dwell within you. This isn't for the world. He says the world are unbelievers, those who don't know, who don't love, who don't uh, follow Jesus. They don't have the spirit. They don't have the truth. Right? Thus, we need to be careful as we seek truth outside of God's people and God's word. Their point of view, their counsel, etc. Will, will likely be contrary to the truth. And so think of it this way, the truth that Jesus is offering his disciples, he's promising to them and to us today who love and obey Jesus, that in our times of trouble, they're searching for the the truth, whether it's the truth to be saved or the truth in this conflict or the way forward in our confusion. You can know this without a doubt that you have help and you are not alone. For the Holy Spirit comes alongside, and the Holy Spirit comes inside. He is the helper, the one who dwells with and will be in you. And that's incredible, isn't it? No matter where you are, no matter what trouble you find yourself, the Spirit has come alongside and has come inside. And this gives us great assurance, doesn't it? And this this is what Jesus is is doing in the next section. See, Jesus, the son, he he helps us as well. Not only can we expect the spirit to help us by coming to live in us forever and with the truth, the son helps us by giving us assurance. Write that down. It's the second point here. Now, The the son helps us by giving us assurance in uh, this life and for the future. And so what Jesus is doing is he's elaborating on truth that he already dropped in the previous section, right? The, his, his future return and his present help that he had just touched on. It was last week for us. If you weren't here, you can listen to it online or if you've forgotten, it was what we talked about last week. But remember, like it's moments ago for them. Jesus is still just teaching and talking. And so now he's elaborating on what this looks like. And so how does the Son help those who have the Holy Spirit? By, he gives assurance an assurance particularly of his return. I right, look at verse 18 here. He says, I will leave you, or I will not leave you as orphans or like fatherless, but I will come to you. Now, this is the second time of three in this, in this chapter that he says these words. You remember last week in, in chapter three, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, right? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's verse 3. He says it here, and also in verse 28, if you remember, at the very end. He's giving us an assurance that he is coming back. The blessed hope of his return is our fuel for this journey on earth, is it not? That great expectation of that he is could come back at any moment. We may not know where he's going or when or when he's coming, you know. But we can expect that he is right. And now Jesus is writing this long before the days of of uh, you know smartphones and particularly of the Find My app. Y'all use that, you know, the Find My app on your iPhone, right? You track your spouse, you track your kids, you track others. And when you wonder where they are, you can look it up and find, you know, uh, where, where they are and, you know, or when they're going to be home. As you see it, oh, they're, they're uh, you know, they'll be home in 20 minutes. Now, this was all before that. And so when someone would go away on a journey, there was no way to really guarantee when they would be back. Now, there could be a time frame. Okay, this is about a week's journey, a 10-day journey, a month journey. And so after that would go by, you could expect, okay, they could return at any moment. But that, you know, could be shorter than that. It could be longer. There's many dangers as they would travel by foot. Anything could happen. But in a sense here, what he's giving them is that, that it could happen imminently or at any uh, moment after that expected travel time. And what Jesus is giving here and the consistent really uh, expectation that our Bible gives is that Jesus could return at any moment. There is an imminence to his coming back and that's the, that gives us assurance, right? That gives us confidence in times of trouble. You know, and, and, and out there, you, you know this as well as I do, likely there are many end times convictions and beliefs that exist out there, right? and maybe are well-versed you know, in all the, like, the different viewpoints of all-millennial and pre-millennial and post-millennial, and there's pre-trib, and you know, there's, there's really unending views out there. And some of you are like, I have no idea what any of that means, and others of you are well-versed in it. But likely, you're probably hearing about these things in, in, to a greater degree right now. If you go to your social media and you're scrolling through, you're probably in light of what is happening in Israel. Things like these world events just happens to like bring people out of the woodwork with all kinds of uh, wild speculation about what is going on there and what God is doing, particularly when it comes to uh, Israel and their role in the future and the end times. And can I, just, can, can I just encourage us in this? Uh, This morning, church, like we we have to be so cautious in that, and not let just like pop Christian fiction and, and, and you know, an unaccountable YouTube prophets to carry too much influence in our life on these things, right? We we have to be so careful if it is not tethered to the Word of God when what we how we interpret what is happening today and what we believe about the future, and it's not just this issue in eschatology eschatology is the you know is the big theological word for our study of the end or what we believe about about the future but on all theological issues on these things we put ourselves on shaky ground when our convictions on these things or in interpretations about world events are based on popular opinion, popular podcasters our feelings, best-selling books or anything else that isn't in lockstep with the Bible okay? And, and here particularly, when it comes to the end times, it's interesting we're using this concept with, a, you know, with, with the upper room discourse here. But when it comes to eschatology, the Bible is more clearly, when it speaks to the end and what, we, uh, what is to come, it speaks more clearly about expectations than explanations. Okay? They're, uh, more clearly on what we can expect more than explaining all the details of everything. There's no charts or calendars uh, in our Bible written out. As helpful as those can be, and you know, some are accurate, some are some are not, but we don't have like a bullet pointed list of, okay, here's all the things and when they're going to happen. We just, we just don't have that. But what the Bible is very consistent on, on what we can expect the end to look like and how all this is going to unfold. It's, it's just like we have here. Jesus simply but repeatedly says, I will come for you and take you to myself. Thus, what can we expect? He's going to return. He's going to come. He's going to take us to himself. We are going to heaven. And we can, that could happen at any point. There is nothing in world history that stands in the way of Jesus' return to come and get his, his people. It's not as though God, the ruler of the universe, the orchestrator of all things on heaven and earth, is sitting up there just waiting for us to get their act together or somebody to bomb somebody or you know, something to happen. Right? He will come back when his time is ready to come and get us, and that may be right now. Maybe at the next eclipse, it could be a thousand years from now. We just, we just don't know. But we can expect it to happen at any point. We can also expect, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, we can expect that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Right? But he also said right after that, <laughs> that he says, See that you not, are not alarmed. Like, chill out. Right? You don't need to be alarmed. That since those words left Jesus' lips, there have been wars and rumors of wars in every corner of the globe. Right? God's people there in Israel have been under attack uh, since then. And here's here's the reality: since uh, you know, the, the only way peace will come is when the Prince of Peace comes, and that's the only thing that will silence those rumors and the and the wars, and it'll bring bring peace. That's why when like Psalm one twenty two tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We are effectively praying, just as we'll prayed early in our service, come quickly, Jesus. That's when all this will be summed up. And so what can we expect this morning? Church, we can expect Jesus to return, and that gives us assurance. We have assurance that he is coming back. He has not left us fatherless. He has not forgotten us. He is, it's not as though he doesn't care. But actually, he also gives assurance not only that he will come back for us, but also, like write this down, that we'll have life forever with him. So he gets that in verse 19, right? Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. It was a little while for the disciples, hours really, before he will be arrested and then uh, betrayed and you know and, and, and beaten and crucified and all that. But for us, all like and even for them, there is a hope of life forever with him, because he rose from the dead. What then do we have? eternal life with him. He conquers death. He also won. So he sung this morning, eternal life for us also. And by doing so, it proves that he is God. It gives us assurance that Jesus is actually God and he can say these things with authority. He can make the promise and the guarantee of these things because he is actually God and has the power to actually do it. Right? He, 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 He says, on that day, you will know. Right? On what day? The day that he is uh, crucified? The day that he rises again? You will know without a doubt, because of this, we are saved. We are invited into this relationship. Like he says in verse 20, I am in the Father, you in me, I in you, right? Doesn't mean that we just like are becoming part of the Godhead, right? but we are united to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. His death is ours. His life is ours. What is you know, on display every time we see baptism? Why God gave us this ordinance as we uh, symbolically say, I am being united to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now he is God, and we, this, this is ours. How incredible is that, right? right? And it should then it gives us an assurance of his love for us. Of his love, love, love for us. Look in verse 21, it comes back to this whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He loves me to be loved by my Father. Like the Son is helping us as he departs, as he is heading to the cross, reassuring our hearts in the moments of trouble that, yes, as we obey Him, we are doing the right thing. As we are following Him, He loves us. As we love Him, He's taking us back to this obedience that is showing us this, this, this glory, the this splendid activity of God at work in our life. I will love Him, He says it then, verse 21, and manifest myself to Him. What is He speaking of here? Judas asks the question in verse 22, right? Important side notes, not Iscariot, the other Judas. There, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Like what it to manifest is like to reveal, to show, to you know, to glorify, right? How will how will all this happen? He's like, Well, at the cross, the empty tomb, essentially, is what he's getting at here. All this is going to make sense. From their vantage point, and something in the future, it's still hazy. They don't, they don't fully understand it. From our vantage point, right? We can see that the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, is a reassurance for us that, man, God really loves us. He's just bringing it back the things that he has said over and over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, these things about loving him, following him, keeping with him, demonstrating God is loving him. If you don't love him, you're not keeping his word that is showing that you're, that you're not actually of the Father. And it's these assurances here, it's these things then, that the Holy Spirit is who teaches us, who brings to our remembrance as we go through life, right? It's another way that the Spirit helps us in our trouble. Both the Son and Spirit working in tandem with the Father. Also, write this down, number three, the Spirit helps us by teaching us and reminding us of Jesus' words. If, If Jesus shows the ministry of presence in the earlier verses, now this is the ministry of teaching of the Holy Spirit. You who are teachers get this, you know, much of our teaching and the content is, uh, it's either new information, things you, that are, you know, new to the hearers in particular, or it's review, it's repetition of things that they already knew, or you're building upon things that you have already covered in prior lessons. And Jesus is doing that very uh, repeating content here, right? I've spoken to you, while I'm still with you. He, he, you know, he's, he's already covered that in the context and along the way things he's already said. The Father is the sender, right? The giver, the orchestrator, and the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches all things and brings to remembrance all that Jesus has said. It's very, very important here. And maybe the question is, well, then how does he teach, right? We sign up for a class, Holy Spirit, you know, instructed class. The Holy Spirit primarily teaches through the Word of God through the book that we have here in our life. Through this, he uses this word as his primary teaching tool. Now he uses it. It's not the only thing. He doesn't mean there are on other means. Is. He declares his majesty and glory in creation through music, other people, books. But none of these things, none of these things will run contrary to the word of God. Sometimes you may even hear, I feel like God is leading me to do blank. Okay, how do we know if it is actually the leading of God, the teaching of the Spirit? Well, is it contrary to God's Word or not? If it is outside of what the, what the, uh, what the, the, the study of God's uh, Word would say, then it is likely not from the Lord, from the Spirit. But if it's here in line, then you can uh, bank your life on it. But what does that mean for us then? means that we have to study all of Scripture. We have to understand to the best of our ability, I mean, growing in and working hard, to understand the full revelation of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and all the genres in between. And we can't just hone in on our favorite parts or just one verse, or I think because we have read one uh, chapter or memorized a verse that we then understand the fullness of who God is and how He works and how we love and obey the Lord, right? And this, this should make sense to you. I mean, it's not like rocket science here, right? You can't just read a chapter in a book. I'd say like, you know, a favorite book series of ours in our house is the Wing Feather Saga. Are you familiar with it? Phenomenal series. It's primarily written to juveniles, but I don't care how old you are, how mature you are in the faith, it is phenomenal. Four books in it Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. But you can claim to know uh, the fullness of Janner or Lili or Kalmar or, or, or Pete the Sockman by just reading one chapter in that book and claiming, like, oh man, I know all things about this, these characters, right? You need to read them all, all four, and, 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 and multiple times to really grasp the, their character and their personality and the redemptive themes that are on display as the books go. And so the Spirit, too, as we understand Scripture and as we go, He brings to mind, He teaches us, but also brings to our remembrance the Word of Christ. The Word of God, as He's building upon it, we're seeing these things. And as we grow in in our life, it is, it is growing and maturing. But also as the Word dwells in us, and the Spirit brings it to mind at appropriate times for our help, doesn't He? Maybe you even have uh, could share a testimony right now of a moment in your life where you were tempted. Or you needed some conviction, or or you know, or you needed some words to fight back against the temptation. And what did what did the Spirit bring to mind? So the, the Word of God in those moments. Just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted in the wilderness. What did he fight back with? Word of God. Time after time after time. Or maybe you're despairing and you need a reminder of his love, that there is nothing that could separate you from the love of Christ, or when you're proud and needed a reminder of the humility of Christ, or angry and needed a reminder of Christ's gentleness and patience and lowliness with people. And so like, I hope hope you're grasping this, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, how he teaches and the role of the Word of God and God's kindness to give us this book. Paul brings this out as he's writing two separate letters, one to the church in Ephesus and another to the church in in, in Colossians, this uh, work of the filling and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life and also the uh, the power of the Word of God as the Spirit uses it in in our life. And you maybe are familiar with these passages. You can turn there. I'm just going to reference them here or look at them later. But in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20... Notice the similarities as I read these, but also the overlap or the differences as well. It says this, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, talking about walking with the Lord in both passages. Walking with Christ, He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So what is he talking about? Don't don't be controlled by substances. He has drunkenness in view, but we could apply this to any substance. Don't be controlled or led forward or filled by. That's that concept here. It's like a filling of the sails on on a boat that leads it or controls the boat in a certain direction. So we're not to be controlled by anything as God's people, but by the Holy Spirit. And thus what comes out? Worship and gratitude. All right. Worship and gratitude, that's how we speak, that's how we talk to one another, that's what should be coming out of our mouths. but similarly, note the differences here. Let me just read Colossians 3, 16 and 17, as he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, okay? So what are the similarities there? Again, how we worship, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, how we address one another, and also gratitude giving thanks to God in all things but the the distinctions there are the word of Christ dwelling in us richly and the spirit of God dwelling in us and controlling us in a certain way and so you see the the providence of God and the activity of God as the word is filling us up and dwelling within us we're giving the spirit that ability and the resources he needs to work in us and grow in us and how awesome is that help right the Word of God before us, the Spirit of God within us, all to the glory of God as we pursue the Son of God, right? This is incredible help in our times of need as the Spirit is dwelling in us and the Son is assuring us and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, teaching us, reminding us, bringing us back to what is true. And that really is a help that brings about peace, is it not? In the, that brings peace to the anxiety of our hearts, to the trouble that weighs us down. See, here's the last section. Then he could say the Son helps us by giving peace. All the, the members of the Trinity, all working together, the Son now gives us peace. Peace, verse 27 says, I leave with you my peace I give to you. And it's distinct. It's not as the world gives do I give to you. Many claim peace. What he's not talking about is, you know, the peace sign, the circle with the upside down. Why? Like, no, not just temporary peace, peace, but eternal peace with God. Because Christ would go to the cross and there win our salvation where we were once enemies of God, now friends of God. Jesus is giving peace because he is the prince of peace. And this is what settles our troubled hearts. He says it. That's why he repeats what he said in verse 1. Remember how this chapter started? Let not your hearts be troubled. There it is again. But he adds on to it, right? Neither let them be afraid. Whatever is causing fear, whatever has you worked up, there is peace in both the departure and the return of Christ. That's why he refers to it. He's like, this is... The, the, his going away is a reason for joy. It's causing them trouble, and Jesus is saying, "No, this is actually a reason for joy. If you loved me, if you understood this, you would know that this is this is for your joy. This is bringing you peace." Jesus is going with joy. Hebrews twelve tells us that, "Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame." Jesus is going with joy in his heart. But we also can have joy because he is leaving. We know he's headed to the cross to win us the peace that only he can uh, do uh, at the, uh, with the Father. But so much, his coming again as a reason for joy, right? He says, you heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. The assurance and the peace that that brings, that he could come at any moment, settling our troubled hearts, calming our fears when all the what-ifs and unknowns of life are racing around and churning up within us right? It's a peace, a peace at his departure and return, a peace at his death and resurrection. They're about to go through the chaos and horror of it all, right? I told you, verse 29, you see him caring for them so that when it does happen, he will believe. It was like a parent, you know, preparing his kids for a scary part in the movie so that they're not alarmed or taken off guard by it, but preparing them so that when it all happens, they would know and they would believe and they would say, this is all going according to plan. Even when they don't understand it. Even when it looks like the enemy has won. Even when it looks like the ruler of this world, as he says, right? For the ruler of this world is coming. Who's he talking about? Pared, Pilate, Satan, yeah. But he has no claim on Christ. Why? Because he's God. He's never sinned. You know, sin, Satan has no dominion over him, right? And so he, 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 John MacArthur in his commentary says this. I, I like this quote. Just read it. I'll read it. The devil, of course, is not the legitimate ruler of the world, but a divinely permitted usurper. End quote. So I just, this is just this is like a little speculation here. I wonder, I like at this moment, like leading right up to the betrayal, all this, we know Satan has entered into Judas and all that, but is it like, you know, it's, it's at this point in history, we know the end already, but just like put yourself in the shoes. Does Satan at this point, he doesn't have omnipotence, he doesn't have omniscience, he doesn't, he, he can't be everywhere, but does he think he's still, like he's going to win at this point, right? See, like the football, they've been marching down the field. They, you know, they have Jesus and the disciples backed up against the end zone. And Satan's like, I've got the perfect play dialed up. This is going to score a touchdown and win this game. Do you think he's like that at this moment? I don't know. I'm not permitted into the divine council, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know what happened at that point. But what we do know is that Jesus is at peace with what he is about to do. He's, he's, he has joy and, and is unstoppable in his mission. And what he is giving to his disciples is the same kind of peace. That as we come to Christ, we have peace with God. And as we come through the troubles in our own life, we know that they are not outside the loving, sovereign, kind rule of God, where the Father is sovereign over them all has given all we need, all the help that we need, and the Son is being glorified as the Spirit is sanctifying us through the midst of it. And church, this is help that really matters, doesn't it? This is help that truly helps, that relieves burdens, that settles our anxious hearts, that brings peace uh, when we are fearing and is ultimately a witness to the world. That the world would know that Jesus loves the Father, i.e. that he is God, that he he is submitted to uh, the Father's plan here, that he willingly goes to his death. That's why he says, rise, let us go from here. He will not hide and cower in the upper room from what is about to come, but he is a man on a mission. He is a man at peace, a man with joy. Yes, with turmoil in his heart. Yes, he'll pray in the garden, all that, but he is on an unstoppable mission for the cross to give us peace with the Father through all of this. See, in our troubled church, we can expect both the help of the Spirit and the Son as we love and obey the Son, the Son already accomplished and what the Spirit continues to do in our hearts. That's a peace, that's a help that I want and I pray that you want as well. Let's pray to that end and ask God to do it for us now. God in heaven, thank you for this help thank you that we aren't alone that we do have all the help that we need got, like lord how kind are you not just to give us like trinkets not just to give us like a few uh, uh, bucks but you give us the like the divine treasure house of yourself dwelling in us fighting for us sovereign over it all and so we worship you because of that god But we would also ask, God, that you would give us greater peace. Lord, if there's any uh, in here that that aren't at peace with you, that are currently your enemies, would you draw them in, Lord? Would you save them? Would you give them a new heart, a new mind, as they repent of their sin and trust that you, Jesus, are their only hope for this kind of life? And for all of us, God, there are many things that maybe are still troubling us. Many things that uh, that yet aren't uh, figured out. That there's no solution in sight apart from just trusting that it is in your hands. Give us peace. Give us assurance. Give us what we need by your spirit, Lord. Teach us what is true. As we love and obey you, God. We worship you now and pray in the name of Christ. Amen.